if you want to get in a relation to somebody that comes from a different disciplines, you have to actually be able to step out of the space of certainty. So it is actually very important that you step out of that and you kind of try to put yourself on this ground of not knowing, actually. Kind of go to this very vulnerable place, actually, of, okay, I kind of don't know at the moment. I don't know what's coming out of this. I don't know how, you know, how this is going to produce maybe also a new knowledge or a new form of what I know. <laughs> Welcome to the latest podcast in our Arts Research Africa dialogue series. These dialogues are intended to stimulate practice, enable research, and inspire collective engagement around the question of artistic research in Africa. I'm Professor Christo Doherty, the Head of Artistic Research in the Witt School of Arts. In this dialogue, I'll be speaking to Irene Hediger, the Director of the Artists and Labs Program based at the Zurich University of the Arts in Switzerland. The program, which has now been running continuously for the last 19 years, is one of the most successful art science initiatives in the world and has initiated and managed over 50 creative engagements between artists and research labs, ranging from CERN to the Institute for Aquatic Ecology. Irene joined the program in 2005 as the co-director and has been the director since 2014. The program is part of the Department of Cultural Analysis at the Zurich University of the Arts, and it works to build sustainable collaboration between artists and scientists of all disciplines, not just in Switzerland, but under Irene's leadership, has been expanding its field of engagement all around the world, including China, Saudi Arabia, and most recently South Africa. These long-term interdisciplinary and cross-border collaborations provide artists with an opportunity to critically engage with the sciences and their experimental and aesthetic dimensions. This includes explorations of the site of the laboratory, as well as a range of scientific topics, methods, and technologies. Welcome. Great to speak to you again, even though it's at such a distance. But what I really want to get into with you is understanding the Artists and Labs project and the lessons you've, you've learned, how you went about it, particularly for us here in South Africa and at WITS, so we can learn from what I think is one of the most outstanding and well-managed art science project that I know of. So, you know, really compliment to you and I uh, look forward to unpacking it. But let's start with your personal path. How did you get involved with artists and labs? I know your background, you studied business administration and management, and then you did an MA in cultural management. And you joined the lab as a co-director I think two years into its existence in, in 2005. So your personal path, how did you get to be involved with Artists and Labs? Right. Yeah, thank you for this question. And thank you also for having invited me to speak on your podcast, which is a great tool to share knowledge. And it's really a privilege to be here. Yeah, well, I think my personal path to to the artists in labs program has been one driven by curiosity of digging really into very different fields I, I was actually trained in a bank 
So, you know, I know the whole banking environment, but then went on to work in NGOs as well. I then continued in a design office for corporate identity. I kind of, you know, was always coming not with a disciplinary background and digging into new fields. So I think this is maybe the red line towards what I'm doing today and then have been doing since 2005 and a very genuine interest in art and design since ever and bringing people together. I think that's also something my personal biography is something that helps because as a curator of these kind of projects, your role is really to bring people together and to be like a coach in these kind of situations. So my biography was really digging into different fields and to very different cultures, working cultures. And when I joined actually the Zurich University of the Arts, it was when the education was really changing from having like it only education to also having research in the arts. And it was the first institute that I joined as an assistant, the Institute of Theory at the time, and where I had really diverse working fields. And I started curating book launches because I thought that theory has such a specific language and it is really something from specialists to specialists. So how do you bring theory into the public realm? So that was my actually first kind of, I was intrigued by that. So I organized and curated book launches in a way that people would also be attracted to come and see what is this theory. So that was that was really the start. And at the time, the first pilot project of the Artisan Labs program started, and that was around Jill Scott and, and a group of people, her being from Australia and having already been, you know, like kind of knowledgeable about art science projects, she saw the density of research institutes in Switzerland and university that do like basic research, but also applied research. And so this was like the ground where, you know, you could put the seed for these art science encounters. And at the time, we have to go back to 2002, it was also technology and the digital age in a way that really started. So the interest um, in society and also amongst artists was really to get in touch to with technology. And obviously, like the technologies were situated very much in the scientific context. So this has not been accessible for artists or any other person, of course. Yeah, as we know, we are all like organized in the institutions and there's a biotope there, but there is not much like really connecting the institutions in a way, especially if you're disciplinary different. I think WITS is even more connected because you have technology and you have art in the same university. But in Switzerland at the time, it was very much separated. So this was the first bridge that was being built. And yeah. Okay. You joined Professor Jill Scott and this first pilot project. Can you tell us about that pilot project and what was learned from doing that pilot project? 
Yeah, this first pilot project was actually completed when I started talking to Jill Scott. And this first pilot was really to kind of learn from a first setting of how these encounters were organized. So the setting was as such that you had artists that would be able to work with sciences for, I think it was about three months. And there were about, let's say, 10 artists in very different scientific laboratories across Switzerland with an international call. And the lessons learned from there was really that time is an issue when you work across disciplines. And this means that when you as an artist are working in a scientific community, first of all, you're confronted with a very different language. And obviously, vice versa, also scientists are <laughs> confronted with an artistic practice and a language that is not known to them. So this really takes time to build up relationships, to kind of get to understand each other, to share ideas, and, and to have this space to really develop. And um, so this was one lesson learned. It takes time to work to together across disciplines. And this is why then, when I joined in 2005, our residencies were nine months long, which is a very long time for an artist to be, you know, working in a laboratory. And that was the feedback we got as well. It's long, but it's very short as well, because you have to get used to a new community. You have to develop within a very different space where you want to go with your project and so on. So that was one of the lessons learned, and that's certainly a very important one. A second one was at the time that, of course, all the science projects depended on third-party money. So the scientists couldn't really spend a lot of time with the artists because they had goals and they were expected to work on their projects. So this is something then that was also changed that we said, okay, there will be like doctoral students or postdocs that we can pay. And there's a number of hours that is like a basis that they could argue, you know, that this project also is like a research project for them. So these are like structural challenges and issues that you have in a certain culture of how you work in science. How were you in the early days moving from that pilot project and you becoming involved with Artist Labs as a co-director? How were you able to sell this idea to scientists and laboratories? Because I'm very aware that scientists are under pressure to do their scientific work to deliver on it. And you wanting them to take this wild card into their research environment that, if nothing else, threatens to take up precious time and precious attention. How did you get scientists or the managers of research projects to accept that there was value in having a wild card artist in the lab? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Well... Science is also kind of a wild card, isn't it? <laughs> I think scientists are very much aware that they need creative approaches to their findings. 
So science is also a very much process-oriented journey. So you kind of have the understanding in a way and the consciousness that it is actually very important to be able to think outside of the box, to find out and to, to, to kind of touch new territory. And so what we did, we were speaking to people interested, managers or like professors that were very conscious of this and that were also very conscious that through dialogue and through this, this encounter, there will be a result. There will be an exchange of ideas. There will be inspiration from each other. And Maybe, you know, it didn't go further in terms of what you could expect because it then showed that it well exceeds what was expected. And of course, at the beginning also to, to actually get the dialogue going between these professors and us, the organizers, was certainly the curiosity about, oh, yes, art. That's great because artists could illustrate what we're doing. So that was kind of the first kind of <laughs> pre-assumptions that you can take as a start of a conversation because everybody has an idea of, you know, disciplines you don't know. So also artists had ideas about, okay, how do scientists work and, you know, encountered sometimes very different situations. And so the expectations are in a certain way. And then this can really be the basis of conversations and of really sharing the knowledge about, okay, what is the reality of an artist and how do artists process their ideas? And this is where you kind of don't even have to convince them. They see it for themselves, you know, like what's in there. But of course, it takes one person to open the door. And then once this step is done and once um, the agreement is there, yes, we would like to really engage with each other. It's then a matter of really engaging, engaging in terms of already starting the collaboration between the organizers, you know, and include also the scientists in the whole selection process, because this is a really excellent way to share the very diverse practices of artists, because our calls have always been and up to today open to all the disciplines of art. So you would identify a lab that was open to a collaborative relationship that had a project, a scientific research project on the go or about to start. And then you would put out one of your calls and presumably that matchmaking, it's, it's almost like marriage, like matchmaking was you have to find a fit between the artist and the artist's interests and the lab. So can you talk more about that matchmaking process? You, you bring the scientists into the selection. Talk me through it from putting out the call. Okay. Yes. Well, first of all, of course, you have to find a group within the scientific discipline that would be open to host, in a way, an artist or to, to welcome an artist into their group. Because there will be your collaborators for like nine months at a time. And then for the call, we 
of course, need also information from the lab, what this research is all about. So we already start working on this abstract together for the call. And once the call is out, the artist can actually apply on the kind of information they have at that time with a project idea. So it is really with a portfolio and, and the project idea that the artists apply. And once all the applications are in, there is like the first stage of the selection, really. And this is where we, you know, presented all the, the artists and the artworks to the scientific community or to the group where the artists would be going to stay. And there it already starts with this collaboration and with the sharing of knowledge. So there's a lot of conversation already going on prior to even the artist starting in the lab. And then we asked also the scientists to contribute who would be on your shortlist. Because, you know, you have to cut it down to a doable kind of process going into a jury. And what was interesting is that it was quite similar, you know, what they would choose or what kind of projects they were uh, intrigued by and the kind of projects we were intrigued by. Then with the shortlisted artists, we had conversations together with the scientists to kind of clarify questions they had also and to see, okay, is it really, you know, the kind of expectations you have from both sides and, and to elaborate a little bit more on the project idea and so on. So again, conversations and opening up between the three parties and then it goes into really a jury. And this is where we actually didn't include the scientists at the time because we thought, okay, we want a art-based jury because these are the experts for, you know, to judge the art and artworks. They were involved in the shortlisting, but not in the final choice. But of course, they could say, okay, we could, after the conversations they also had with the artists, they would say, these are like the three, four candidates we could well imagine to work with. So it's kind of a common process already there. And we are not yet in the lab with the artists. So as you can imagine, it's very much in the preparation. And what has the response been to your calls? Do they vary greatly depending on the kind of science that you propose in the call? Yes, of course, that did matter as well. And at the very beginning, you know, we were not over flooded with applications because also on the side of the artists, they didn't really know, you know, what is this, you know, and nine months in a lab. And so it was only after the first artists could make this experience and share it with their communities that we had really a lot of applications. Also at the beginning, it was on both sides. It was not so easy to kind of open up people to this idea to work across your boundaries in a way that you have in the arts and you have also in the sciences, of course. So the artist has been shortlisted by yourself together with the scientists. The final decision has been made by this jury on artistic grounds. Then what? How do you manage the actual engagement between the artist and the lab do you just give them the email address <laughs> a lot of hand holding uh, do you have to manage the introduction 
Yes, absolutely. No, the matchmaking process is totally that. First of all, also doing contracts. That's also very important to have contracts or like memorandums of understanding. It's maybe a better term for that. To have memorandums of understanding that are is signed by everybody, by all the parties involved. Then it's really as if like a new person starts in a lab. You know, you start with presentation of what your expertise is and what you're going to do there. So these are really the first steps that we organized to kick everything off. And we were also in contact, of course, with the scientists. And prior also in the negotiations was also part that what is the framework that the artists can expect? And we negotiated always that they have a place in the lab, they have an email address and so on. They're really part of the group. You kind of go until the kickoff and then you leave them and you have regular meetings with the artists, you know, to kind of follow up their process. And at the time we had four artists at the same time in labs everywhere in Switzerland. And so, you know, at least three times there were bigger meetings coming together, sharing the ideas and so on. And one meeting also between the artists, scientists and us. It's an intense process for everybody, for the curators and the scientists and the artists. Can I ask you about that memorandum of understanding? Is there an expectation of specified outcomes when the artist enters? What sort of outcomes do you specify at the start of the relationship? Yeah, the goal in a way is really the process. This is something that we were always very strict about, that it is not about production. It's no production grant. It is really a process grant. It is about the dialogue. It is about new ideas and really these conversations across disciplines that you usually don't have. But this said, what we framed as an outcome was that we had either a prototype for artists that are working maybe even with material during that time and so on, or like a concept that they would then further develop. This was the kind of outcome we were asking for. And also to have at the end of the residency exhibition slash event at the Institute, so that the whole scientific community could actually come and engage with whatever the process was at that stage. So you would have, of course, like, you know, embodied <laughs> kind of process um, in material that were there at the end, but sometimes also conversations and so on, or like the evidence of photography within the lab to share the process and so on. So it was really to kind of open up a bit more to share this really privileged exchange at the end of the residency. I actually started with this because I thought, okay, this is again all within institutions, but what about a society or like a public outside that don't really access either the scientific institutions nor the artistic institutions? So I actually started um, with trying to also have these kind of projects within, at the time, 
very restricted cultural institutions and art institutions, which means like at the time, you know, it was nearly impossible to see projects that have been created at this crossroad of art and science within a museum or art spaces. At the time, it was very restrictive also from curators in these institutions because they were questioning, is this now art or is this science? So this was a, a, a second road that I was trying to slowly start to pave to have also like this openness on the side of the art institutions. So to start a conversation about, okay, what is art nowadays? <laughs> and, you know, how broad, you have to broaden it as well there. So that was also a very interesting um, path um, that I started and I enjoy till today, actually. In those early days, were you finding that the science labs, the institutes, were the places where the creative work that had come out of the collaboration, that was the most appropriate place to show the work in order to have a dialogue between the institute and the rest of the scientists in that institute with the artwork that has been produced? It's just been the obvious one at the end of a residency to share it and to also use the spaces you have in science that are sometimes underestimated. I don't think there was a big consciousness amongst the scientists or amongst the staff of universities that you can use their spaces as well for exhibitions. And to have a dialogue outside of like the either small offices or the labs <laughs> that are there and so on. So this was like really the first step of also entering a dialogue between the communities of the universities and with the artists. And again, I mean, you know, we have the situation in Switzerland where we have technical universities or humanistic universities. And then you have the art universities. So it's not like that you have a big university where you have humanities and arts in one university or technology as well. It's all very separated. So this was just like the first space to share these processes. And then it went out from there. Got it. And in terms of the arrangements you were making for the artists, did part of the fellowship or the grant for their residency, did that include a budget for their production costs or was that expected to be covered by the lab? There was a very small grant for production or material rather, because again, to stress the focus on the process, we didn't want it to be like, you know, okay, at the end there is this art piece and this art piece needs production money. So this was really a very conscious decision of paying the artist a honorary for the time in the lab, but not like a big production budget at all. That it was very clear, you know, where the focus is as well. But it even happened sometimes that, you know, Certain artists, of course, went very quickly into the material where even the scientists invested some money for the development or bought, like that was more than the individual and personal level, bought art from the artists. 
and you know in this matchmaking process what was the percentage of success did you have artists who just didn't manage to fit in or became alienated or who alienated the scientists how was the general pattern of engagement were you dealing with crises did most artists in with their lab and everything went well till the final end of 9 months what was the the pattern of the residencies yeah it would be strange if there wouldn't be any crisis within <laughs> such encounters because you have a very specific knowledge from each side you have very specific language you are within a community that you don't know and where you as an artist first have to get a sense of where am i here of course and then of course you have the challenge of the kind of questions that come up that are also producing heated debates between the artists and the scientists but there has never honestly in all these years there has never been a major fallout where you know people would not speak to each other anymore there were difficult situations <laughs> one artist i remember he felt a bit shy of approaching the scientist so he was sitting in his kind of office but there again it was a scientist that helped him you know so it was also kind of a reciprocal kind of interest mutual interest in who is this artist so it kind of went different ways of course and it's really challenging each other is a very important part of this relationship because if you are not questioning what you encounter people are not triggered and that's actually one of the outcomes that a lot of scientists really appreciated that they had to think about again what they are actually doing because if you're working with your peers you don't really have to explain anymore what you're doing because everybody is in the same boat and and everybody is working on similar kind of knowledge production so this has been very productive actually that you could call it crisis or challenges frictions this is for me the most interesting part of these residencies and of course always in the respect you know for the person you have in front of you and for the environment yeah in your own writings on the AIL and the relationship between the participating artist and the science lab you've spoken a lot about the value of not knowingness of a mutual incomprehension can you just articulate that yes this is something i think is also a very important aspect of probably any type of relationship in a way but specifically also when you're working between disciplinary knowledge production environments because in our disciplines we produce knowledge and we produce a kind of certainty in how we look at the world or what we think <laughs> is state of the art now and we understand each other more or less but we have this consciousness about okay this is what i know this is the certainty part in a way but if you want to 
get in a relation to somebody that comes from a different disciplines, you have to actually be able to step out of the space of certainty. So it is actually very important that you step out of that and you kind of try to put yourself on this ground of not knowing, actually, when you encounter an artist and the same for the artists, of course. Because otherwise there will be no conversations. Otherwise there will be just like um, affirmation of, okay, this is the knowledge and now you better take it or, you know, you leave it kind of situation. And this is why it's so important to kind of go to this very vulnerable place, actually, of, okay, I kind of don't know at the moment. I don't know what's coming out of this. I don't know how this is going to produce maybe also a new knowledge or a new form of what I know. <laughs> and so I think that this is really vital for these relationships to be in a form enriching for everybody involved. And of course, we all have, and this is true also for science and for scientists, you have to assert, you know, you have to be sure of what you're doing. And this is how, what you communicate. And you have to leave that even if it's for an hour that you speak together. But this is important to meet. And you found that the participating scientists are open to that vulnerability, that coexisting, unknowing? Well, of course, it's not all of them, you know. I mean, we've had situations where at the beginning, certain scientists were very much like being in distance observing the artists but would not get involved to any discussion because of course you have a group of people and you have those that immediately you know kind of bond and think oh this is interesting let's have a conversation but what is very interesting about those scientists that were at the beginning maybe very I don't know what they were, maybe a bit scared to leave this place of certainty, of comfort and get into a conversation that with time they would open up. It might not be with like the first artists, but step by step they would open up. It takes time. Time, again, is a very, very important aspect in this and what is also, I think, helps to this opening up is that a lot of conversations also in, in the science, I think in all institutes in a way, are the pauses and going to have lunch together and sitting around the table and just casually enter discussions. This is where a lot happens on a social level. It's a very social process in the end. And this challenge of finding communication between the scientists and the artist. It seems to me you've complicated that by now reaching across cultural boundaries. I mean, beginning with your engagement with China, Chinese artists, in particular of Anyu Chen, who is in your documentation, you know, I find one of the most fascinating, the Chinese photographer and calligrapher who is placed in the uh, aquatics ecology lab and his struggles with with real communication <laughs> i don't think he had much in the way of of german or english in the way that 
his work in that lab was very much around the challenges he faced with translating the concepts. You know, his practice was actually writing down accounts of different scientists' dreams on paper, which he then placed in the water tanks where they were doing their research. And the ink bled out. It was really fantastic. And you've also had Swiss artists going to China in a reciprocal relationship, having to deal with not just the language, but profoundly different cultural understanding of nature, for instance. So why that held you to start engaging beyond the art-science cultural difference into this quantum, if I can want to call it this quantum level of communication challenge? Yes, of course, it's always also personal interest in really having these conversations, not only in your confined boundaries, the national boundaries as well. And also, we are in a really lucky situation to have Pro Helvetia Switzerland, like the Art Foundation, that is the foundation in Switzerland uh, to promote also like Swiss art abroad but is open enough, you know, for very new concepts as well of dialogue and exchange in the world. And they also have offices in different places. And at the time, in 2008, I started looking into that. Actually, Proletia also contacted me because they were uh, engaging with China and they wanted to open an office in Shanghai at the time. So with this, they were asking, you know, if I wouldn't want to submit a project that would be uh, between artists and scientists in China and Switzerland. And I was very excited about that because at the time I was also working a lot with environmental scientists. And for me, on a curatorial level, it was also clear that within this scale we needed a common topic and that was really our environment climate crisis climate change and of course like china at the time just blooming up into a major force in the um, economic sense as well but also one of the countries with a lot of energy conservation and so on I found it very, very interesting to have this topic really set as a curatorial statement, which is, by the way, more or less up to today is like the arch in, in these international exchanges. The second thing I knew was that I didn't want Swiss artists to go to whatever country, or in this case, China, but I wanted it to be an exchange to have, again, this, I don't know, 360 degree kind of possibility of dialogue between the artists from, in this case, China and Switzerland, and sharing views and kind of sharing also knowledge and also cultural knowledge, you know, what, what is the history and how did, did it form the kind of view we have on the world on, on our environment and to have these conversations going. That was actually the major motivation to add to the complexity. And the question for me was as well, you know, is the complexity then really much bigger when you have the language issue? Because the language issue was there anyway. So what happens if you are speaking another language? 
And at the time in China, you didn't have a lot of um, exchanges. So the artists in China didn't speak English very well. A lot of, of artists. And it was also just Chinese art was perceived by the West, was the start of that. And for me, it was clear uh, also how can I access artists that would be interested in an exchange about these kind of topics and not like the market that was very strong at the moment, strongly coming up. So that was one of the real challenges. And also, how do I get in touch with institutions that are very much uh, closed? So this is where science helps, because scientists are very well connected in the world. They're working with their colleagues all over the place. And so I had in an institute here a scientist in environmental science, a Chinese professor, working here in Switzerland, but had also professorships in China. So we planned really this very long before it actually started. So we visited different labs and so on. And then, of course, with this door opener in form of the scientists, we could really make it happen. And did you follow the same process with the matching, the selection and matching of the artist to the lab that you did in Switzerland? Yes, we did indeed. <laughs> it was quite amazing that this was also possible, you know, with all this remoteness. But of course, we had internet and, and um, we had all the possibilities that technologies offer. But of course, I had to do also research trips. I really had to go and dig deep where are all these artists and make connections, make a network within also the arts. So once the, the lab was chosen, Again, there was the same process. Of course, you had to find other channels to access this kind of art scene in China at the time. And China being a big country anyway. So it was, of course, like you have to adapt to the kind of structure or the possibilities that you have. But on the other hand, it was exactly the same in terms of process and also selection. And is the engagement with China, is that continuing? I would have loved it to continue, but once the office opened of Brolvetia in Shanghai, it was, of course, up to this curator there as well, what kind of program you wanted to establish there. And we had many conversations, but I think we were too early with this because, interestingly enough, I was contacted again a few years later when curators from China came to Switzerland and wanted to start like this art science projects. And then again, last year, I was contacted by Swissnext to give a talk. And it was interesting. We spoke about that. And she was also saying, now it's ready. But at the time, it was kind of too early. And there were no early adapters there in these positions where we could have really gone on with this. But I'm really happy that, you know, from this seed there, now these kind of programs also start to bloom in China, for example. Maybe one day we will take it up again. But I think that that was a very nice outcome as well. And, you know, between then and there, there are more than 10 years. To speak more about your other outreach, I mean, notably the engagement with Saudi Arabia and the Red Sea Research Institute. I know our time is quite limited, so 
I'm going to change the topic, and it's something that really does concern us here in South Africa, and that is these residencies have taken artists with established practice. They've been mature artists. What has been the engagement with students, postgraduate students, and I'm particularly of interest in undergraduate students. Have you done any work in facilitating art science collaboration, those levels? And what is the difference and how do you go about that? Yes, that's interesting that you are uh, asking this because indeed, after a few years of having this experience and being able to work out of the art university, but really working with established artists, I was aware that, of course, we always invited the artists, you know, uh, into the school and having like interactions within the different departments, but there was no program uh, that allowed master students, for example, to engage with scientists on this level. But with the experience we had, I started conversations quite early on, a few years ago, with the Master Transdisciplinarity that was established a few years after Artists in Lab started, to discuss, you know, how could we offer the artists this kind of possibility? And in what way? And, you know, with what goal, of course, as well. And actually, two years ago, or three years ago now, we did a first pilot where we were saying, okay, there is now a call for master students. And this is actually the first kind of structured attempt to have this kind of program now running for master students at the Zurich University of the Arts. And we just now are in the selection process for like the 2022 master series, as we call it, this program, where students from all disciplines at the Zurich University of the Arts can apply to work with scientists. And again, it's the same process. They need to apply in the same way. And this is very interesting, again, to see as we start, you know, at the beginning, we didn't have that many applications. And now already in the third year, we have many more applications. And of course, this is very interesting for master students that either, you know, want to expand their practice in a way, and their questions, or even for their final exams or for their diploma, need this um, or need this, or, you know, it would be very interesting for them to be able to work with scientists on their questions. So for that program, had you set up science labs that were prepared to take master's students, and then you were placing the master students in the way that you place the established artists for the main AIL program? No, or both is true. Because we have now a very wide network of scientists, we have, of course, open doors. And we can have conversations with them. And they are very open because they have this experience of working with artists now. And of course, master students are also very often students that are a bit more mature as well. They're a bit older. They have, they have their practice already set in place. So it wasn't that difficult anymore for us to establish that. So we can actually do both. We can say, okay, if an artist has a very interesting question, a very interesting project idea, we see, you know, which kind of scientific discipline could be interesting for this project. But we always have a call where we have one lab that is set and where they can apply to. 
for the others, we have like an open call where they can hand in a project at any and give an idea, you know, who they think they would like to work with. And have there been any developments at the undergraduate level? Not yet, because you really have to go step by step. I mean, yeah, the environments are challenging. If you're going into a science lab, it's challenging. And it's challenging in terms of that you're not intimidated by whatever you encountered there. So you have to kind of go step by step. And experience is so important to know how you have to frame with different levels, let's say, of professional experience and experience in general. You have to frame the whole setting. That's extremely important. And it's amazing. I mean, we have been working now with this kind of settings for like yeah, since 2002. And obviously, we still exist. You know, my dream would be one day that it wouldn't be necessary to have us as mediators in a way. But on the other hand, I would regret that because. Everybody learns in this process. Everybody. As a creator, you are no exception. You can really, really learn and take it step by step as well. And this is what I find interesting. But of course, one day I, I wish that these cross-disciplinary exchanges are just normal because the complexity of our world just shouts for it and needs it so much. Absolutely. And I see we're getting to the end of our time. So there's just two questions. And the first is a question I get a lot at WITS when I try and pitch this idea to science labs. And they say, what are the concrete outcomes they can expect from taking this on? After your nearly 20 years of experience with artisan labs, how would you answer that? <laughs> well, I would answer much more than you can imagine now. You will be in a different place after that. And of course, that's difficult, but I made the experience that it doesn't need that much convincing in terms of scientists and especially professors that are maybe later in their years in science that have to experience what actually drives science, understand that different points of view really drive and creative approaches drive science. And this is something that they understand. And this is where you need the kind of conversations more in terms of sharing what artists can contribute to that as well, of what they're doing and vice versa, of course. That it's not like, you know, okay, an artist is coming and taking all your knowledge and, you know, takes it out and off we go. That's not the intention. The intention is also to create new ideas, to create new knowledge, and also to, to share and have a different way also of sharing with also a general public. Because society is also a major driver in all of this. And nowadays, scientists also understand that we, we have to find new ways of engaging with publics and with each other. I mean, we are basically all publics to each other. And the scientists and the artists, they are both like thinking about the world and thinking about how can we get to, you know, a different place or to a better place on this earth. What are the big questions that we have? And these cannot be solved or answered in one discipline anymore since a long time, actually. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. I read my last question, and maybe this is a difficult one. It, it, I have had this coming back to me from scientists here in South Africa, is why is this not a two-way relationship? Why is it artists in labs, and isn't it scientists in artist studios? Why does it always work just in the one direction? Okay, it is not a one-way conversation. The place is the scientific lab, because science is organized very differently than artists. Again, this is maybe sometimes the idea of scientists that artists have big studios, <laughs> big infrastructures where they work. But fact is that a lot of artists are working in front of their computer or have very tiny studios or share like spaces. So to go to a scientific laboratory does make sense because of infrastructure as well. And because scientists or the scientific community and how they're structured do at the time not yet allow for people to really go out of their way of working and spend like three months in a studio with an artist. That's still quite difficult. But it will come. Time will come. I'm really positive about that. But we've been discussing this a lot with scientists. And once you, you discuss with them and then they, they see the realities of, yeah, what can they actually do? Because sometimes also there is a pre-assumption that or a confusion between, okay, I want to also go to an artist studio to kind of learn how to, I don't know, work with, with a film or video and so on. But this is not the exchange we are aiming at. We have here a whole art university where we can actually invite scientists to take lectures or to, to engage uh, with this. But it takes just more than that to have really a setting that allows to have like this open conversations where the result is open, where it's not just, you know, I give you this knowledge and you give me this, where it's really going beyond that. Because the other thing would be quite easy. And we've seen in our residencies a lot of time, and this is also something we encourage, that artists invite the scientists to their studio. And some did really an excellent, really there was like passing through and also went to exhibitions with them and so on. So this can actually happen within a residency, but on a more structural level, it's, it's much more challenging to have the space change. But it's always a two-way conversation. Irene, I think that's a very good place to stop. I would love to speak much, much further with you. I, I hope we can on another occasion. And yeah, I know how busy you are and I'm in awe of what you're managing and achieving with yourself and a single assistant. <laughs> Thank you. But it's much bigger than that. I mean, like all the collaborators are actually also the artists and the scientists out there. You know, they all contribute to make it work. It's really a big yeah, network and community in the end. But of course, yeah, it takes something to make it continue. No, it does. But Irene, thank you very much for making the time. And it was great to reconnect. 
You've been listening to a dialogue between myself, Krista Doherty, the Head of Artistic Research in the Witt School of Arts, and my guest, Irene Hediger, the Director of the Artists and Labs Program based in the Department of Cultural Analysis at the Zurich University of the Arts in Switzerland. The podcast was hosted and produced by myself and technically produced by Elna Schutz. It was funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation as part of their support for the Arts Research Africa project in the Witt School of Arts, University of the Witt Badestrand, Johannesburg, South Africa. The music by Lee Rosvier is used under a Creative Commons license. <laughs>